0: Yeah, this is Frank Bill, author of Donnie Brook, and I'm doing a fucking awesome podcast with the guys over at Booked.
1: Mr. Salmon, bring me a dream, make him the cutest that I've ever seen, give him two lips like roses in clover, then tell him that his lonesome nights are over, Salmon, I'm so alone, don't have nobody to call my
2: Welcome to Book where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Libby Sneddon.
0: And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be reviewing this week, Dr. Sleep, by author Stephen King. A little bit about the author for anybody who actually needs to be told. Actually, and this is a funny story. I'm online, uh, on Amazon, going to pull the information for the, web, for the episode, I'm looking at the Amazon page for the Kindle version of Dr. Sleep, and there's literally... No author bio because usually there's like synopsis and there's an author bio and it goes into reviews and stuff. Literally no author bio. I had to click over to one of the other versions, like the hardcover version, to actually find
2: a bio, and I was like, for a minute, I was like, he's so big, he doesn't need a bio. That's insane, dude. It's so funny because I first opened our Google Doc. Yeah, first thing my eyes were drawn to is the bio, and I was thinking like, do we really need to say anything about this guy? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> 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 exactly. Well, here it is for anybody who just you know came out of a coma, like a 40-year coma, and went right to listening to our podcast, which would be awesome. If that happens, that would be awesome. Stephen King is the author of more than 50 books, all of them worldwide bestsellers. His recent works include Doctor Sleep and Under the Dome, now a major TV miniseries on CBS. His novel 11-2263 was named a top 10 book of 2011 by the New York Times Book. Review and won the Los Angeles Times Book Prize for Mystery Thil- Thriller, as well as the Best Hardcover Book Award from... Why am I reading this? Blah, blah, blah. He's Stephen King. He's written a bunch of tons of books. Um, recipient of 2003 National Book Foundation Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. So he's writing letters as well. He lives in Bangor, Maine, with his wife, novelist Tabitha King. I didn't know she was a novelist.
2: Interesting. Yes. yes, she is. I did know that, although I've never been tempted to read anything by her. Um, it's also kind of weird I think I know why there isn't a bio because the bio sucks not only does it have a a major typo in it but um, uh, (laughs) Under the Dome is not a miniseries it ran for like 14 episodes and has season 2 coming up so I don't think that qualifies as a miniseries yeah it's an actual TV series yes so right, Um, a little bit a lot of it I guess about the book on highways across America a tribe of people called the True Knot travel in search of sustenance They look harmless, mostly old, lots of polyester, and married to their RVs. But as Dan Torrance knows and spunky 12-year-old Abra Stone learns, the True Knot are quasi-immortal, living off the steam the children with the Shining produce when they are slowly tortured to death. Haunted by the inhabitants of the Overlook Hotel where he spent one horrific childhood year, Dan has been drifting for decades, desperate to shed his father's legacy of despair, alcoholism, and violence. Finally, he settles in a New Hampshire town, an AA community that sustains him, and a job at a nursing home where his remnant shining power provides the crucial final comfort to the dying. Aided by a prescient cat, he becomes Dr. Sleep. Then Dan meets the evanescent Abra Stone, and it is her spectacular gift, the brightest shining ever seen, that reignites Dan's own demons and summons him to a battle for Abra's soul and survival. This is an epic war between good and evil, a gory, glorious story that will thrill the millions of devoted readers of The Shining and satisfy anyone new to this icon in the King canon. That um, synopsis is terrible. Awful. It's glad. horrible.
0: <laughs> I'm glad we're going to talk about this. Um, and this is this is coming from a guy who's not even a Stephen King fan, and I'm recognizing that there's some serious inconsistencies.
2: Yeah, it's not just that. It's It's... In my opinion, it's just a poor synopsis for the book.
0: Yeah. Dan doesn't know. He learns. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows that they're... they live. He didn't know about that before this book. Nope. Um, he didn't spend a year at the Overlook. He spent, like, a, f- a winter season.
2: hmm Not even the whole winter, for that matter. Yeah, well... I mean, they're never really right. specific. I mean, it's not like it's close to spring, necessarily, when they get out of there, so...
0: Well, I thought it was, yeah, the... Like, December 3rd or something was mm-hmm. when the actual Outlook, or whatever, the Overlook? Yeah. That's the name of it, yeah. Mm. Was actually burned when it
2: actually exploded or whatever. Anyway. So, so much for that. Um, let's go back up a little bit, though. <laughs> it's got to be the coolest book cover I've seen in a while.
0: Um, it is a pretty interesting book cover. That, like, red face of a woman with the mm-hmm. wispy kind of silver smoke around it.
2: Yep. Yep. Love yeah. this book cover. It's seriously my favorite book cover in a long time. <laughs> just just um, wanted to throw it out there. All right. So, you want to actually tell you what the stories about? So, yeah, I guess. Um, as mentioned, and if for some reason you know uh, you've, uh, what did you say? Someone was in a coma. If yeah, you're one, of, if you're one coma. of the returned, who just came back to life after forty years of being dead. <laughs> uh, The Shining came out uh, 40-ish years ago, and the main character in that story was Danny Torrance, who was five at the time. Um, Danny had to uh, deal with a a lot of supernatural beings and whatnot to kind of survive his winter at the the Overlook Hotel. Um, But Danny had uh, something that became, at least one of the characters in the book, referred to as The Shining, and that was his ability to... Um, I read minds, I guess, is probably the easiest way to say it. But he would pick up things and just kind of know things. Uh, not necessarily they had to try to read someone's mind. He was kind of like a just a receptor for things all the time. So now it's thirty-ish years later. Um, uh, Danny Torrance is uh, is you know getting close to middle age, and he's had a really really rough life. So it's uh, he kind of went down the same path that his father did with with drinking and. He's kind of transient and doesn't keep a job for very long, has lived in numerous places, and we kind of pick up the story with him uh, where he's at, he's at the end of doing that. Like enough bad things have happened that he's going to try to turn over a new leaf and, uh, and, and give up the booze and kind of try to live a decent life.
0: Yeah, and the explanation, um, because I was a little bit disappointed that he ended up being an alcoholic, um, the explanation was satisfactory enough for why he became an alcoholic, and it was that during his teen years, um, the visions and all the horrible things from you know having his gift and having gone through the stuff at the Overlook Hotel was so taxing on him that the only real way he could escape is through like drinking, basically, substance abuse, that type of thing. So I was happy with that explanation. I thought that was uh, it was a good reason to have him kind of go the, like the one place where you know even in the, even in this book they explain that he had you know promised himself and I think maybe not out loud but his mother that he wouldn't be like his father but he ended up going down that road anyway because he couldn't handle just the horrific
2: experiences that he was still having. Yeah. My my disappointment in him as a character for doing that, um, I agree with you, but it's kind of frightening i think that happens a lot more in real life than uh you know than we imagine somebody grows up in a in a home with an alcoholic or whatever and they always swear it off and and fall right into the same pattern so if that's um you know hereditary or you know if you're using it to dull your shining whatever the reason is it's uh it's you know it happens so i was actually kind of okay with that
0: yeah it's legit i'm happy that he gave the excuse or the explanation not excuse that he did um So, yeah, like Livia said, uh, the story picks up in the beginning of the book where he's just kind of still in his very chaotic early adulthood coming to grips with being an alcoholic. Um, Eventually, he kind of has an experience that is the the final, like, I can't do this anymore type experience where I guess I can probably explain it, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where he wakes up next to a woman that he picked up at the bar, or she picked him up at the bar, or whatever, and um, he had just cashed his paycheck the day before, um, and come to find out, waking up with this woman, that it was just gone. So he was like in a, in a really sour mood about the situation and being having lost all his money, and um, he, this is like his rock bottom moment where. He's getting ready to leave, and he's thinking about going through her wallet to see if she has any money to kind of make up for the fact that he blew his paycheck on, on drugs for her. And um, while he's, you know, kind of doing this like very low, low thing, um, her son, kind of appears out of nowhere, and um, starts going for a, a big mound of cocaine that's on the table in the living room, and he stops the kid and puts the kid with. The still sleeping mother and um, right before he leaves is that kind of internal battle of do I take her money or not you know and he rationalizes enough to the point where he does kind of take some of her money and leaves her without saying anything Um, which he feels guilty for uh, to a degree and then later on for different reasons it becomes you know apparent to him that that was really the lowest moment of his life is
1: that fair?
2: That's very fair, yeah. Um, and, and you know, probably, uh, probably, rightfully so. It's a low moment, and it's the one that uh, you know the catalyst for his getting clean or, or trying to get clean. And uh, yeah, so he ends up in this in this small town, and, and he gets a job. And the book spends a little bit of time kind of jumping around um, years at a time, which is not something I'm I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why it was important in this um, in this particular story, but over the course of that time, we see Dan Torrance get better as he gets a job, as mentioned in the thing at the the um, what's that called uh, the place hospice? where people go to the hospice. That's it. He gets a job at the hospice, but then at a certain point, we start picking up on on Abra, who is uh, who is the the you know main new character in, in the in the, the Shining sequel. Um, and we start we see her from the day she's born and then we get these flashes. You know, a couple chapters will go by and we'll we'll jump forward two or three years and kinda check in on Dan and then check in on Abra. Um, so that kind of takes up a, a good portion of, of the middle of the book. But there is a third entity that we kind of follow and this is also mentioned in the in the synopsis, the true not and here we have our antagonists for uh, for the book. Um, the True Knot is kind of a timeless, you know, some, some grouping of the True Knot has been around for a really, really long time. And they all have um, The Shining um, in different versions. So, uh, you know, one of them can make people fall asleep at a mere suggestion you know uh, others can mind read others can locate people and it's a group of people that basically survive they're they're like psychic vampires they survive um, off of other people that have the shining so we kind of jump around along with them too and see where they you know how they mature at least during the duration of this story
0: yep One thing I want to say about Dan settling down in uh, the town that he settles in, which I can't remember the name of. I just keep remembering Teeny Town. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, That's where he sees um, Tony Mm -hmm. after not having seen Tony for a long time. uh, He sees Tony and and is kind of suggested in a way that... um, like this is the like kind of suggested that this is the place that Dan should settle down. Like it's a good place for him, and that's why he gives it a shot. Um, so there's a little bit of a fate element, or a, you know, something that's a power outside of his control is is suggesting that he stays here. So it's not just coincidental. Um, there's actually kind of almost like a a method to to him settling down where he was.
2: Mm-hmm. There are no coincidences. That's for
1: sure.
0: Especially not in this book. Yeah, <laughs> we will talk about that. Um, so yeah, the interesting thing about the true not um, is really just kind of like what they do. Um, they're they're this group of, and I always imagine. I haven't watched this since I was you know in high school or whatever, but that something wicked this way comes. Mm-hmm. It's like this traveling group of like somehow seemingly evil people, um, but like really, I guess like kind of very inconspicuous but so what they do is um like olivia said they they feed on the shining but um specifically of children because it's the strongest in children and they and they call it the steam what they kind of extract the 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 powers of the shining from the kids they call it the steam and the steam is the most powerful most pure if you've tortured the kids first so um they're basically nomads like olivia said that wander the country finding kids with these abilities using their own psychic mental powers or whatever and torturing them until it's almost like marinating them like in a way like mm-hmm. getting their power to be as like potent as possible before they kill them and, and, and absorb or store their quote steam for later consumption
2: it's pretty goddamn creepy if you ask me yeah little stranger danger vibe going on with these guys um i think that the the kind of interesting thing and it was never very overt in the book but the true not was basically given the nod for like every weird child disappearance and murder <laughs> yeah well that's what it was because i mean they you know they they indicate at times that you know hundreds thousands of kids you know so i mean that uh if you look at the missing persons or, or found dead children reports you i wouldn't be surprised if it fell in with the numbers that the True Knot have, uh, have knocked over, so to speak. Right. Um, the one character worth mentioning, um, and, and there are some decent characters in the True Knot, I think, but Rose the Hat, who is the ringleader for um, for the True Knot, uh, in my opinion, just a terrific character. Rose is like the
0: <sighs> ringleader. Mm-hmm. Definitely like the... the the matriarch of the group and um she's just evil as hell like there's so the true not in the in the in the in the process of becoming and, and in the beginning of the book you find out how they kind of change someone into one of theirs are not necessarily completely human so i mean because it's something that happens early on i don't think we're spoiling anything mm-hmm. um but because of that they see everybody who's not them is uh what they call rubes and um She's definitely heartless to anybody that's a rube, but has that kind of um, unbending loyalty to the members of the True Knot. They're very... Um, it's like very, very much a very like a, a close-knit family. But she's evil as hell.
2: She is, and she wears a top hat, which is just awesome. Did you get the feeling that you missed the top hat reference? I know I missed the top hat re- I know...
0: That there is something I should know about the hat that I don't because I'm not a Stephen King
2: reader, mm-hmm. and I haven't read all of King's books. But yeah, I definitely had the feeling that yeah, that there was something about the hat that that didn't um, that didn't connect. So if you want to shoot us an email or a message on Facebook, let let us know what we missed about um, Rose the Hat's hat, if you know or if you've already read the book.
0: Yeah, I, I you know I have my theories, but I think because I'm not a Stephen King reader. And definitely no historian of of the the characters of his different books. It's totally over my head. Mm -hmm. But it was obvious that that had some
2: strong significance. And and it took a while into the book to figure this out. But since they mentioned it in the synopsis, I was really wondering. Because I actually expected Dr. Sleep to be a bad guy. The bad guy, yeah. (laughs) Well, and and then the weird thing was the, the first True Knot character you meet is a woman that can suggest to people they go to sleep and they do. And I, I, I kept trying to figure out how this character, that very obviously didn't seem really important, got a book named after him. Right. So, but, uh, yeah, it's all, tell the folks why, uh, why he's called Dr. Sleep. So Dan becomes
0: Dr. Sleep because when he starts working at the hospice, um, the, there's a, this is one of those times where the timeline jumps around a little bit and, um, we find out about this after he had worked at the hospice for a while. And um, so we're kind of learning something that is kind of just common knowledge. It's a, it's not something that is like we find it the first time. We find it after this has been going on for a while. But apparently there's a cat that lives in the hospice that when someone's about to die, the cat will go in and uh, sit with them. And when that happens, they call Dan to um, visit the people who are going to die because... They call him Dr. Sleep. Essentially what happens is he goes in and he uses his powers to kind of as comfortably as possible transfer people over to whatever comes next. And um, so he he just helps them go out in a comfortable way. And um, the people in the hospital just think he's got some sort of calming effect, I think, on people. Uh, I don't think they realize the full, you know, truth of of how he helps them cross over can i
2: just say something he goes into a room where someone who's elderly and he helps him die and he's called dr sleep anybody goes in with a pillow and puts it over their face is just called a murderer (laughs) yeah there's a whole like psychological
0: the angel of death thing right yeah where like nurses and stuff think they're helping Mm -hmm. people by killing them yeah yeah, they're just murderers. He's called Dr. Sleep and heralded as a hero among his peeps. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, that's what earns him the love of the town is that he goes and kills their
2: elderly. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, Yeah, so I don't think we can really go any further story-wise, right? I think this is pretty much where we've got to
0: cut it. Yeah, to not spoil, I think that's it. But we do have some things we need to talk about. Absolutely. You go. I see I see your <laughs> list. so <laughs> You can see my list. Uh-huh. Um, all right so here yeah, we all know going into this that I'm not a Stephen King fan so please take everything I say with a grain of salt because I'm just not I'm not his target audience um, and, and before I before I complain about anything I want to be fair the dude crafts a really good story. like he's like he's an excellent writer. I'll give that right out front like he knows how to write a story but I do have some problems. <laughs> Um, here's my big gripe. So, uh, and Livius, you'll have to tell me to cut this if this is too spoilery, but, um, throughout the book, the main bad guys are people who, um, kill, kill children to, you know, survive off of. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, you could kind of, and this is going to be a stretch, but you can kind of boil it down to, um, you know, they kind of choose when people die and so they're bad. But Dan kills the elderly, <laughs> you know, he's not feeding off of them, but he kind of chooses when they die and he's heralded as like this like great dude. So there's a little bit, I don't know, like it's a stretch and it's not a big deal, but like that's one thing that kind of bothered me throughout. It's like, you know what? The good people are killing lots of people um, and kind of either not not necessarily an, enjoying it but like at least they don't care like they're not like burdened by the fact that they caused someone to die so anyway that's a small thing here's the here's the other thing
2: for me can i can i just because i think you have a good point there Uh uh-huh i really wondered why dan i'm sorry i really wondered why stephen king needed the cat (laughs) well and it's mentioned it's mentioned in the synopsis so we've all seen the story right stories plural about the 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 you know, old folks home that has a cat or yeah. the dog that always goes in and like lays down with the people right before they're gonna die,
1: mm-hmm. and I
2: think that may have been his tool to let you know like they were dying. He's just helping them pass on. So now that after you said that, that I look back at it, the tool is a little weak. Yeah, because I was thinking through the course of the book, is Dan can read minds and he knows these, he would know these things anyway.
0: <laughs> well, right that, though, the, like the that's, flies
2: too, yeah. like he.
0: The, the Death Flies or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, well, here, did you read the author's note at the end? I did. You did? Mm-hmm. Where he talks about he was inspired by the story of the cat that, like, mm-hmm. knew when people were dying. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, I honestly think he, <laughs> he was so excited about this cat that he had to make it, like, a big part of the book somehow.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> here's my, here, all right, here's my bigger gripe, though. You ready for the bigger gripe? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about *The Shining*. *The Shining* is essentially the book about, like, a kid who um, an evil power recognizes what the kid has and wants it, and wants to kill him to get it, right? Yep. Now, cut to forty years later, the sequel comes out, and I'm like, all right, so this whole um, true knot thing—it's people, it's actual like a malevolent thing, and they're gonna fight. It's gonna be different. But when you boil it down to, it's a kid who has a power that evil people want so they can get their power and they want to kill her to get it. Now, at different times throughout the book, it wasn't like I was always against where this was going because there were some points where I was like, oh, he's making it different. And then there was like a seemingly insignificant thing that he didn't need to have in the book that just brought it right back to being like so similar to the basic plot line of The Shining. I was like, no, you were so close to being different. So that was one thing that kind of I don't know, it was bugging me throughout the book. Crap, you gave this a lot of thought, man. I did, and it's because I didn't like... <laughs> when I don't like a book, I need a really good reason
2: why, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Again, I, I didn't really... I didn't see that as I was reading it. And I also felt pretty strongly that I knew where it was going and, and what the... Um, you know, the climax of this book was going to be. Um, I, I don't know, It's it's... In some ways, it's very similar. And I think one of the things I said to you after I started reading it, you asked me what I thought, is it's also a much, much bigger book. Um, the scope of what happens um, in this book versus what happened at the Overlook Hotel you know, is much bigger. You've got the people who've killed thousands of children and are a continued threat. Um, you have numerous um, different locations that the book takes place in versus the one hotel, which is mm-hmm. really it for, for The Shining. So... He took it to a much, much bigger scale. But yeah, I mean, it has so many of the same things. And, you know, on purpose, obviously the alcoholism. Yep. He struggles with the same things his father struggled with, like some of the ideas and concepts in his head um, that his father had when he was recovering from alcohol uh, or alcohol abuse, I should say. You know, so I mean, a lot of the same stuff and and a lot of it is, uh, you know, it all kind of is like a big, big circle the way I saw it. Like, we revisited a lot of things from The Shining, things that Danny wasn't equipped to deal with, or maybe we weren't equipped as readers because our, our protagonist was five years old. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was a scary lady in the bathtub versus an adult look at... at these horrors and these powers that he has and stuff. So, yeah, in some ways, I think it's almost a... I don't want to say a retelling because obviously it's vastly different. But, yeah, I think that you're right. The gist of it was all still there, kind of the... The you know having a child even though at this time the majority of the book Abra's she's fifteen I think 14, 15 mm-hmm. she's considerably older but you have the child who's in trouble you have the adult that can help um, and may help you know whereas in The Shining the the father wasn't exactly a big help but you know you have that kind of uh, eh, that role model I guess because he also becomes what's the what's the old guy's name in The Shining the old black guy. Oh, um, I don't don't remember. Yeah, in some ways, Dan has become him. He's become the mentor. Right, like the shining mentor, basically. Yep, so it's, uh, and I didn't have an issue with any of that. I mean, that's more of how I looked at it versus telling the same type of story. Right. That makes sense? So, which, ultimately, that's what it is, but yeah.
0: And I'll I'll give you that, um, yeah. I don't know. It was just bugging me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's another thing that bothered me and it is a little spoilery so I'm only going to tell the part that's at the very beginning so people mm-hmm. who have read the book will understand it and people who haven't won't have anything spoiled and and in thinking about it I think this is going to be a little too spoilery so I'll just say that there was something that happened with Abra that was a callback to something that it was just for me I, I call it in the notes I call it um, my spoiler-heavy, bitter disappointment, <laughs> so, as much as I'm going to say about that, but um, there was something that happened with Abra that I was just like, I can't believe you went there. You didn't need to go there, and it was very disappointing to me. I don't
2: think it was a good call. That's That's fair, and again, without saying what it is, I will say I got chills the first time it happened. So I don't know if... Ultimately, yes, I think you're probably right. But but it did kind of give me the kind of gave me the willies when, when I read it. So anybody who's read it, I'm sure it was caught on by now what we're talking about. And right, you will, and, and you know you're going to see it right when we saw it too. And that was my feeling upon reading it. And I understand that
0: it was a way to show, in a way, that there was kind of two potential outcomes for her, like a good one and a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, but. It could have been done a different way, I think. I don't know. I just thought it was the cheap, it was the low hanging fruit. Hmm. So, anyway, okay. this is, yeah, we can't really talk about much more because we're just <laughs> going to sound so vague that no one's going to either. It's, yeah, it's I was like, all right, people because, are like, what the hell are they wait, talking about? Like, why? What about? is he talking about? He's not yeah. saying anything. <laughs> Livius, you know what I'm talking about. And Absolutely. I don't know. We're it just, without going into it, was it a disappointment for you or were you okay with it?
2: I, I think ultimately I was okay with it. Okay, I'm not disagreeing with you that it could have been done better, but I'm going back to my initial reading, like what I was thinking in my head when I read it, and it kind of gave me the chills. So I, for that, I, I appreciate it. That's that funny
0: because for me it was just a groaner. I was like, uh <laughs> It's one of those things where, like, the moment it happens, you pretty much know where this is going.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's true. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> back to being anything else less you want to talk about? about
2: uh, no, about, I mean, yeah, there's lots of stuff I'd love to talk about. The problem is that it's all kind of spoiler kinda heavy, a little thick. Yeah, so um, here's what you need to know: it's a significantly bigger cast of characters than The Shining, um, and not just you know The Shining's ghosts and numerous you know apparitions and stuff. Um, this actually encompasses Dan has a uh, two three different f- friends who um, help him out through the course of the book that you'll get to know. Abra has parents the true knot there's probably five or six people that that play a significant role in the true knot so it's in some you know not just in scope of story but character wise he went from what what were there A total of six living people in the shining so mm-hmm. why is this a cast of eighteen twenty maybe total?
0: yeah easily yeah yeah so. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Abra's family alone, there's one, two, three main people. Folk, four.
2: Well, including her, yeah, I guess. Yeah, four. Yeah,
0: Four, including her. Mm.
2: And that's just her family, yeah. Yep, yep. So, um, why don't you go ahead and give us your... Uh, your Oh, do we have quotes? Do you have quotes? I think I have a couple quotes.
0: Honestly, no. I have quotes that I have, like, things I want to fight against. <laughs> okay.
2: I have contentions. I have bones of contention. That's what I have. All right. Let me um, let let me let me throw out a couple of quotes. The first one I'm not going to give away, but um, I don't think it's... I, I don't want to actually read that, this, uh, but if you've read anything about this book, you will know that there are some nods to NOS 4A2 by Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, in case you weren't aware of that. And I have that highlighted. Um, I wasn't aware of that until, like, a few episodes ago. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there's this horrible I, I don't even think I could read this without choking <laughs> Like, but there's just this horrible part and I, I think this was um, um, the part that you were talking about where he wakes up next to the the girl he picked up in the bar mm-hmm. um, when he gets sick but there's like this just horrible horrible like bathroom scene that stomach turning which doesn't happen to me very often Um but yeah, I don't even think I could read it. <laughs> um, here's, okay. So here's one. Dan eyed it with morbid fascination, reflecting, not for the first time, that the hungover eye had a weird ability to find the ugliest things in any given landscape.
0: That is actually one of the quotes I really liked about the book. For some
2: reason, I didn't highlight it, though. Okay. So, um, here's another one. Uh, and Jack Torrance. Jack being um, Dan's father. Jack Torrance had fucked up anyway. Spectacularly. Five stars. Drinking was undoubtedly a part of it. But when you were down, some guys just seemed to feel an urge to walk walk up your back and plant a foot on your neck instead of helping you to stand. It was lousy, but so much of human nature was. Of course, when you were running with the bottom dogs, what you mostly saw were paws, claws, and assholes. Yeah, it was good too. Yeah, I think that in some... Okay, so so into the story that I stopped looking for. Yeah. So, can I also just say, and and I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. I thought it was really really cool that he uh, incorporated the World Trade Center. Um. Yeah. Into it. Uh, so basically, on nine eleven, the the true knot knows something is happening. They all kind of go and hang out around New York because of the steam that uh, could come off of any major disaster. I thought that was a nice incorporation into the book. Yeah, for
0: sure. I thought that was a clever way to, to incorporate an event in a non-exploitative way, mm-hmm. which is a perfect segue into something I want to talk about. Okay. Exploitation. Okay. <laughs> Product placement. And Rice... Got nothing on Stephen King when it comes to product placement in this book. We were talking about Gripped and how it actually like incorporated real life things into the mm-hmm. book, which was refreshing. This book, man, you couldn't go like four pages without some pro like a product name getting dropped somewhere. Um, some of the notable ones were <laughs> they were talking about a book of some sort, and uh, Abra said it's on my Nook which I think is Stephen King's big fuck you to Amazon. <laughs> yeah, very well could be. Um, there, but product placement was huge throughout the book. Everything was a brand name. Someone was getting in a truck, and it wasn't a truck. It was their Tundra, um, iPhones and iPads all over the place. Uh, I think even, like, food, like um, like food and cigarettes and everything had some sort of brand name involved in it.
2: yeah. Yeah,
0: which I'm not fighting. That's mm-hmm. fine. I'm just saying it was really noticeable.
2: I'm just trying to think like is that though, I mean, is that the easiest way to communicate the point you're getting across if you're writing a modern book?
0: I think it's almost impossible not to. Like the effort that it would take to not brandify a story set like in
2: 2012-2013
0: is almost not worth it.
2: Oh, it almost gets worse if you go back further. So let's think about this for a second. If you're writing a book that took place, if you're writing it now, but the book took place in the 70s, wouldn't you be even more likely to mention whatever the hot fads were then?
0: Oh, yeah, Doesn't you know, sense? for authenticity, for the sake of yeah. authenticity, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. Interesting.
0: Um, Another thing? Mm-hmm. Did you notice that um, Stephen King may have, in one way or another, kind of like subtly been making some casting hints for the upcoming Doctor Sleep movie? No, that completely eluded me. The first time Abra meets Dan in person, they're describing he's describing Dan from Abra's perspective mm-hmm. and she says, sort of like Jax Teller from Sons of Anarchy. Oh. <clears throat> you know what? I do remember that now that you say it. Uh, I'm like, alright, so I know that Charlie Hunnam's got a really good chance of being... <laughs>
2: Well, after he's done with Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly possible. Again, not holding that against Stephen King, I just thought it was notable. Interestingly, and I know you don't watch, but do you know that he made an appearance on Sons of Anarchy? Stephen King did? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I only watched up to like the third or fourth season, I don't remember exactly, but I don't remember seeing Stephen
2: King. He was, uh, he was like the cleaner that they called in for a job that they did. He like showed up and I think like he might have mumbled he... a couple words. Yeah, like he's the guy who shows up and gets rid of the body and cleans the place up. Really creepy dude. Yep.
0: That makes sense. Stephen King yeah. is super creepy.
2: If he showed up at my apartment, I'd be like, I don't have a body
0: to throw away. Like, that would be my natural reaction. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh-huh. I don't really think... Uh, I don't really think I have any more quotes. Um, the couple that I'm looking at seem very spoilery in retrospect. Yeah. I'm ready to wrap up if you are. Yeah. I am. You go ahead. I get the feeling that we'll, we'll end off on a more positive note if I go second. <laughs> um,
0: all right. I'm not a Stephen King fan. I read this book because, I mean, you almost have to when you do a book review podcast about, you know... Um, books that are new and noteworthy, and the sequel to a book written 40 years ago by arguably the most well-known author in the world uh, comes out. There's really no way to avoid that one. Um, so I gave it a fair shot, and I even went back and um, I audiobooked The Shining, just so I knew the story of that, and I even watched the movie The Shining as well uh, in preparation, so I did my work, and I um, I don't know, overall I just didn't like the story I think there were some things, like had I not gotten some serious disappointments like 80% into the book I probably would give it a higher rating but there were some things that I just don't think should have happened and he went there Um, other things I didn't care for but I understand the motivation and the need for them so I'm willing to forgive but overall there were just enough things for me that made it I don't know Almost a disappointing read, but like I said, Stephen King is a great crafter of stories. He's a great storyteller. Um, it's not like uh, it's not like a James Patterson situation where he's a he's a selling monolith, but his books are just totally worthless. Um, Stephen King's books have worth to them, and I know that there's a reason there's a lot of people that love Stephen King's books because the dude is is a legit, you know he's a legit author, so um, I'm really I'm really torn about where to go with my rating on this because I didn't like it, but I recognize why people would um, but I gotta go with my personal gut, man this is gonna be
2: a two and a half for me you're not alone Amazon reviews are, uh, there are some that are less kind um, than you were, including I think one that's a poem, if I'm seeing this correctly <laughs> <laughs> all right um i much like rob um i'd never read the shining i saw the movie in the movie theater when it came out it was probably like six or seven eight i don't know hadn't seen it since but it's you know pretty prevalent pop culture so i was very familiar with it i did decide to read the shining um the shining felt a little dated um when i read it it was a very enjoyable book and i'm sure it was a phenomenal book in the 70s um, so I also did my homework. I did not watch the movie, especially after Rob and will talk a little bit after <laughs> we done with the wrap-ups about his opinions on the Shining, the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, having read it very recently, I was very familiar with, with Danny Torrance. Um, I liked um, a lot of things about this book. I, I like Danny as an adult, and I, I like where King put him at the beginning of the story, you know, just coming off of years of of crap. I, uh, I thought it was... Uh, really well written that he became an alcoholic like his father and, and knew that and hated that about himself um, so at any rate abro great character cute kid um, great teenager the story was huge huge and epic in scope and uh, you know again without being spoiler there's some other things I really really liked about this that I can't mention um, uh, the ending went on probably a little too long for me um, I, I thought that could have been cut probably a good 20 pages before uh before it was um but overall it was a nice revisitation of course for me i was revisiting three weeks ago when i read the shining um but i'm gonna give it four and a half stars i I really enjoyed it a lot all right
0: um we didn't even talk about alcoholism did we a little bit we mentioned that he was drunk (laughs) um yeah it's it's definitely a poem
2: (laughs) Can we? Can we? I know where we're at. We didn't have Amazon reviews planned for tonight, but how can we not do this? All right. Who's reading it? Um, up to you. You know what? It was closer to your review than mine, so I'll
0: go. I'll do the honors. All right. This is the last on the list. You want to go to it yourselves. The last on the list of one-star reviews for Doctor Sleep, um, uh, on Amazon by Chris Roberts. Um, it's not an Amazon verified. So he didn't buy it, it sounds like. I don't know how much to believe this. But here we go. I'll try and do it justice. Generic horror written horribly will haunt the remainder shelves. Danny Dan has a problem or two. The past is crawling, calling you. Did the overlook explode or not? Freeze-eyed Jack's last words. Not. No, that's rot like father like son a drink or three will do raise high the glass stupefied the same old new all drink all day makes dan a dull young man red rum half numb the shine diluted polluted drunk from a shot glass a prayer for the inebriated the wayward the crass the shining is a mining of the mind it is emotion devotion to one to king stephen his reign in new england uneven a shiner is a black eye doctor sleep i'm not buying i don't buy Oh Danny boy Abra Abra is calling Oh oh Danny boy Rose the hat will eat your cat All sober every day A.A. makes Dan a duller older man (laughs) The true knot is not what it seems to be It is an old hickory A hanging tree Chris Roberts God of Unforever Days
2: So there you have it One of the um, better written Amazon (laughs) reviews I guess (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't even know what to make of that.
0: <laughs> the comments are even better. Since you give every book you re, you review a one-star, what's the point, other than you are an ass? <laughs> you don't have much of a life, do you, Chris Roberts?
2: <laughs> nice.
0: Oh, this is good.
2: Very nice. Um, Just about to start yeah, reading the book,
0: I, I bet it'll be much better than your poetry. <laughs>
2: And again, we see a, a trend in one star reviews. Here's someone who wrote a one star review, says they're not buying the book because it's too expensive. Therefore, it is a one star review.
0: Yeah, that's bullshit. Like, I know Stephen King can't probably give two fucks about the one star reviews because there's 11 of them and there's over 250 five star reviews. Mm-hmm.
2: But it's bullshit to do that to anybody. Yep. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Here, here's another one that's interesting. I had to quit reading this book because of all the F and other vulgar words. I realize King is one of the elites, like the movie stars, who feel free to clutter their books and movies of vulgarity. I, on the other hand, do not have to read or watch their crap. Did you think there was a lot of profanity in this book? Nope. Okay. I was starting to think maybe I'm just so jaded I didn't notice any of it. Like, that's, yeah. Okay. Too many F words. Thanks. Thanks, Joyce Cravens from uh, Carrie, Mississippi. Appreciate your input. Yeah, some people are stupid. Three hundred five-star reviews. Mhm. People love King, dude.
0: So thirty times as many five-star reviews as one-star reviews. Yeah, but zero or zero.
2: I don't even know. How you'd say that a lot
0: less poetry in the one and the five-star reviews. <laughs> probably. Yeah, there's probably not a lot of people doing poems in the five stars. <laughs>
2: Dude, so what did you think of The Shining movie? I know that, that we're now going to do a mini-review on a movie that's, you know, 35 years old, but... You watched the movie, right? I saw it when I was, like, eight.
0: It's terrible. All right. Um, without going to my notes, I posted my thoughts about it on a forum somewhere. The first thing is that every goddamn scene had this really slow zoom in or out. It drove me nuts. It's like... I understand it was supposed to make the movie creepy or, like, feel claustrophobic from what I've read. Really, it was just really annoying. Like, just, you know... I don't know. It, it didn't... It just bothered me. It, it distracted me more than anything. And then um, it deviated so far from the book um, in a lot of really bad ways. Like, the end of the book... All right. Or the end of the movie. We don't have to worry about spoiling the movie, right? No,
2: I'm pretty sure. That I'm, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're good. Um, the end of all right. So the end of The Shining, the book, um, the the boiler explodes and the the hotel burns down, mm-hmm. which is you know kind of weird, but it works. The end of the movie The Shining. <laughs> I can't make this up. There so there's a hedge maze in the movie. Um, It's one of the big, you know, it's one of the things that the hotel is very proud of. They have this, like, really nice hedge maze, and it's, like, you know, 10 or 13 feet high hedges, and it's really big. Um, So when Jack goes crazy and starts trying to kill his wife and kid, Danny runs out to the hedge maze. Because, I guess, earlier in the movie, him and his mom had walked around in it, so I don't know why. Maybe he felt safe in there. I don't know. Um, Runs out to the hedge maze. And Jack is following him and trying to find him to kill him, but um, there's this one scene. God, it's so annoying, where they're you know Jack is following, chasing Danny around for a long time, and then finally they show Danny stopping his tracks. And it's winter, so there's snow everywhere, um, and since no one goes in the hedge maze, there's no footprints. So it's very big, and um, Danny stops at one point, backtracks, and this is like a minute of him backtracking like, stepping back to his previous steps and then jumping into the hedges, like, to the side. So, like, at one point it's going to look like his footprints just end and he disappeared. That was the big I'm getting away from my psychotic father um, plan. And it worked. That's the most frustrating thing. (laughs) Like, Jack can't find his kid. He's following the footprints and then the footprints end and then he just starts running around like, you know, almost randomly trying to find his kid. And that's how he dies. He freezes to death in the hedge maze. Yeah. My problem with this is, earlier in the book, they show a part where, where there's a, like a scale model of the hedge maze in like, the main office of the hotel, and, and Jack's spending a serious amount of time looking at it. So he knows what the hedge maze is laid out like. And he's possessed by the hotel. Part of which is the hedge maze. How can he not find his way out of something that is possessing him?
2: That's a very, very good point.
0: That drove I, me I nuts. remembered
2: that as you were saying it about the hedge maze. That—that's. I knew the ending was different because I always had this picture of Jack Nicholson sitting there like frozen, icicles mm-hmm. like hanging off his face, and now I know why.
0: Yeah. And um, the other part at the very end, another pan, like zoom out, kind of situation where. Um. obviously the hotel still exists because it didn't burn down like it did in the book mm-hmm. and so there's a picture of, there's like a wall with pictures of I'm assuming it's kind of like the Billy Goat Tavern all the famous people that have been there kind of thing oh. and um, you're like oh I made that little reference
2: I did, I, I got it
0: and so it's zooming out, and well actually it's kind of zooming in to this one picture kind of in the center of a party from like the 1920s or 30s or 40s or whatever with a bunch of people and it's obviously kind of the scene from that he hallucinates in the in that mm-hmm. grand ballroom area or whatever, mm-hmm. where he's, like, drinking and everything. Um, and uh, there he is in the picture, front and center, as part of the group. So that's Kubrick's way of saying he now is part of the hotel. My problem mm-hmm. with that is he's, like, front and center. He's, like, the main person in the group, which would lead someone to believe, at least subconsciously, that he's, like, the leader of the hotel now. Even though the hotel basically said, you need to kill your wife and kid... Um, And if not, there's going to be, you're you're not worthy of us. Right. He failed at killing his wife and kid. So why would they make him part of the hotel? And why would it seem like he's kind of leading things?
2: Hmm. Well, I don't know.
0: (laughs) If anybody wants to take this up with me, I'd love to hear
2: like a rational explanation of this stuff because it drives me crazy. Stephen King has very many times publicly said that he's not a big fan of that movie. And he did, um, I don't know if he directed or wrote, he wrote a version later There was a TV miniseries, and it was in the early 90s, maybe mid-90s. Yeah. So uh, maybe if I decide to watch one, maybe I will forego the Nicholson version and go to the the Stephen King version.
0: Dude, he took a shot at the movie, even in his author's note, of Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. Yep he was like, my story is the true story. I was like,
2: "All right, buddy. (laughs) I was really, the one thing I was really surprised, I knew that there was a different ending and I don't know where I'd read that or heard that or whatever. I was really surprised the twins, the twin girls, like the most iconic like horror image of the 70s or the two girls standing in the hallway. Yep. That that wasn't from the book, that that was a Kubrick invention.
0: Yeah. And that sucks too because like um... They didn't really have much to do like the they were well it was it was kind of a Kubrick convention but like they were supposed to be the kids of the the grounds care the caretaker that came before that mm-hmm. went crazy and killed his family
2: oh okay
0: so it was inspired by those so the um the bathroom scene where nicholson's talking to the the former caretaker and he figures out that like the guy doesn't know what he's talking about you know what i'm talking about that's the guy. That's the former caretaker who was mentioned in the book that went crazy and killed his whole family and then killed himself.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, he's in the book too. Right. Yeah. He's. But the I one think that, that um, yeah talks about yeah. he's locked up in the freezer. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's probably enough. We've probably had enough Torrance family drama for one night. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Probably. We got some other stuff to talk about anyway. We do. Um. So it's October. You know what that means? It's Tober. It's Booktober. <laughs> um, it is the month in which Lit Reactor um, has chosen the Booked Anthology to be their book of the month for their discussion club. And that is up and going. And uh, already quite a few people talking. Yeah. Tons of comments going on. So very cool. Um, you, joining that portion of Lit Reactor is absolutely free. You can join the conversation. Please do if you've read the book anthology, or you want to just get some insights into it. Um, you can do that. You can also purchase the ebook if you promise, totally promise, to go and talk about it on Lit Reactor. You can get the ebook from BookedPodcast.com for half off. So use the discount code LR50, capital letters LR50. And you'll get half off, bringing that ebook price down to a very nice four bucks.
0: That discount code stands for LiviusRob50.
2: Very nice, sir. <laughs> um, dude, do you realize not only is that half off the ebook, but that's like a million percent off the price of buying um, the paper book? <laughs>
0: oh, are we going to talk about this now?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing: people were warned. Did I not warn people? You did.
0: In your yeah. in your in your defense.
2: They Do should have re- seen this coming. Yeah. Do you remember that conversation?
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 That is right. You did say
2: that. Now yeah. And I told people it was gonna happen. Everyone was like, Oh, this is just Livius trying to be funny, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. We did it. We did it. We had the book out there for a little while. <laughs> we let people buy it at a reasonable price and then we decided, enough with that. We're pulling the book. And then we're driving the price up. And now now, do you know how much you can buy one of those copies from for? Last I checked it was like forty eight hundred dollars. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. That was the old price. The new price, five thousand six hundred and seventy eight bucks. Oh man, I should have bought mine today earlier. You should have, but you know what, Rob, you can buy one from me right now, eighteen hundred bucks. Eighteen hundred? PayPal me eighteen hundred bucks. I will <laughs> send you a copy of the booked anthology. That's a steal. Nineteen hundred if yeah. I want it signed, right? Well yeah, of course. So uh, anybody who wants a copy at the not $5,678, um, hit me up, $1,800. bucks. <laughs> All right, so um,
0: <laughs> if, um, if you decide to hold out a little longer, hopefully within the next couple days, um, or maybe by the time you listen to this, it's already been resolved. We had some distribution issues, so we made some efforts to change things around a little bit so that the book was available immediately when you ordered it instead of uh, showing as two to three weeks. So um, there was a little gap. It didn't go uh, uh, seamlessly because obviously when you publish a book, nothing works the way you want it to. Um, but in the next couple days, so before the, I'll say, 10th of October, it should be in stock for the regular 15.95 dollars 95 price. Um, and those people selling it for $6,000 will look like fools. And so will
2: Livius. Well, yeah, but if you want one now, I'm just saying, PayPal makes some money. If you can't wait. <laughs> yeah, if you can't wait. I mean, by the time you get it and they ship it to you and everything, Booktober will be almost over. Booktober. So, any rate, four bucks for the ebook. Go to bookpodcast.com. Go to the Booked store, upper right-hand corner. Um, enter in L for Livius, R for Rob, 50 in capital letters, because that's how we actually spell our names. And uh, four bucks and get on it join the conversation you can even get a pdf if you really 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 must yes if you're that archaic
0: and i will say nobody has bought the pdf yet i am i'm shocked i'm I'm watching it like a hawk (laughs) so i'm gonna the moment someone buys a pdf they're gonna email from me and they're and it's just
2: gonna be like why (laughs) yeah that's i was just thinking there's people have tried but rob has talked them out of it Hi, thanks for your recent order. I just wanted to check and make sure that you really wanted the PDF. Why would you want the PDF? We have <laughs> this really beautiful mobi copy that you can get for your uh, for your Kindle or whatever. I'll so, be like, "Send me
0: a 1000-word essay about why a PDF is the chosen method for you." God,
2: it's so horrible.
0: So horrible. All right. Uh, the next bit of news, um, I'm getting I'm getting a little jealous. <laughs> A little green with envy. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking Livius might be breaking up with me. I'm getting those hints, you know, like in a relationship, there's always some hints that you're like, oh, I don't know what's happening, but I, I, I'm starting to worry that, like, someone's
2: stepping out on me. The writing is uh, is on the wall. <laughs> Announced by that alarm, whatever that was in the background there. <laughs> Yeah, the the writing is on the wall. What Rob is referring to... um, First, to clarify, I know we had said a couple episodes ago we called Michael Wilson out on uh, the Nosferatu episode that we recorded and we thought maybe we broke the This Is Horror podcast. I assure you that podcast is not broken. Um, We had some major technical difficulties for the Nosferatu episode. It is unknown at this point if that will ever air. But I did uh, join the gentleman at This Is Horror um, just earlier today where we talked about a variety of topics, nothing very specific. Um, yeah, there was no specific plan. It was a kind of like an interlude episode, like will we do that kind of thing. So mm. uh, look for that soon. Um, and who knows, maybe I'll pop up on another episode, yet to be determined. getting worried, man. I'm getting worried. I'm in high demand, buddy. Podcasts want this guy. <clears throat> in unrelated
0: news, I just want to say this before I forget. Um, I am holding auditions for a, a host for a podcast can't really say what the content is right now.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, please, please send in your... No, seriously, send in your audition tape. I guarantee you that whatever Rob's talking about, we will play it on this show. Oh, my (laughs) God,
0: yeah. Yeah. That would be so cool if people sent in, like, podcaster, co-host auditions. Do it. That would be so cool. Absolutely. What if we... Can we give a prize to the best one? Um, sure. Do do we have anything worthwhile worth giving away? They would host, they would co-host an episode with us. Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. This is an impromptu off the top of our heads contest, but send in your auditions, your co-host auditions, the best one. Um, we're not going to put a time limit on this, just, you know, depending on how many responses we get. The best one, um, you'll get to co-host an episode
2: with us. Should we disqualify people that have already been on? Um. Yes, we probably should. Well, let's let's just do this. Let's just disqualify two people. Sean Ferguson need not apply. <laughs> David James Keaton need not apply. All right. So if you have hosted,
0: it's not going to disqualify you. Mm-hmm. And if we decide that it's not fair to other people, we might just give you a different prize.
2: There you go. Boom. Uh, before we get way too far off of this, as far can I mention the the cool kind of giveaway thing they're doing?
0: Oh, yeah. Sorry, I totally
2: interrupted everything you were talking about. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Um, this is up Tuesday, October 8th. Um, so, just a few days. So, if you're listening to this over the weekend, um, you still got time. Um, you remember we reviewed Roadkill, episode 152, I think. That's right. The, the chat book. Um, that's now available. Do um, you remember we talked about exorbitant shipping prices from the UK and stuff? You can now get the ebook right on Amazon for a for very friendly two ninety nine. dollars um, but That's the cool a, part about that.
0: Hmm? You, first of all, you're saving. The money you save on the
2: shipping, you could buy a copy of the Booked Anthology right now. You could, absolutely. Um, so at any rate, there's a link that Rob will put on the website um, for this post. Or if you may have already seen it on Facebook, if you're part of the book Podcast listening group. Um, basically, if you read it and review it on Amazon, Now, it's a, it's a chapbook, so it's short. So once you get it, if you're in the mood to sit down and read for a little bit, you'll knock it out in no time. Um, you will qualify to win a bunch of very cool things. So they're doing um, two years' worth of chapbooks, um, the the actual physical edition of the book. So you've got a bunch of things. I'm not going to go through it. All the details are at thisishorror.co.uk. It's a little banner right at the top. Um, if you're sitting in front of your computer and want to go right now, if not, check out our Facebook page.
0: Very cool. That's what I've got. All right. You know, think anything big happened in books? New books in books news recently.
2: You know, I don't know. I got to be honest with you. I've been out of the loop the last couple of days. I've been really, really busy with work stuff, and you know, and recording my uh, on my new podcast. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I've Any been uh, I've been very busy. I haven't been able to keep up with anything. If only there was a way that we could get the news brought to us.
0: If only. Well, thankfully, we have a gentleman named Skip Papersley that pays attention to stuff Well, we don't have to. So without further ado, here's we're going to learn ourselves a little bit about what's been going on with books.
1: This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. This week, America lost one of its great authors, Tom Clancy, at 66. He was best known for his books that were later turned into movies, Clear and Present Danger, The Hunt for Red October, and The Sum of All Fears. The New York Times contacted president of G.P. Putnam's Sons Publishing, Ivan Held, who said he knew the precise cause of death. The book news team followed up on that very cryptic sentence and caught up with Held to question him further. Mr. Held informed us that Clancy died while swimming in Knobsk River while he was hit by a still submarine. In slightly different news, word of Tom Clancy's death has caused the price to jump on his officially licensed video games. Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Online, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six, and Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Pandora Tomorrow have seen increases for their used copies of 15-30% and new copies of 25-50%. This has led recently hired book news intern Gene Teamman to put his copy of Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Three Broken Arrow 2 The Phalanx Initiative 33 Special Deep Black Edition Uncut, which was, quote, signed by an old dude at a GameStop on eBay for $14.3 million. And now the New York Times bestsellers in Fiction Recap. Lee Child's Never Go Back is Never Going to the Top and is number five. Throwing in the towel is Nelson DeMille's The Quest at number four. Swing low at the number three spot, it's Lowland by Jum- Jumpa Laeri. Nicholas Sparks, The Long Ride, put on the brakes at number two. And number one this week is Stephen King's book about a kid that does stuff. It's Dr. Sleep. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley signing off.
2: Oh, Skip Papersley. I don't know if that was the right thing to do. I was going to pour a little out for Tom Clancy. That's big news. It is big news. I was 66, which is relatively young nowadays, especially for somebody who's fairly, you know, affluent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can't have to imagine, like, every time I see a commercial for some weird military, like, video game, it's got his name all over it, so. Yeah,
2: I uh, tried reading So I read one Tom Clancy book, I don't know, probably 20 years ago. Um, and I tried a couple others. He was a little way too technical for me. No, he's one of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, his actual job, I shouldn't say his actual job, because he made millions, I'm sure, in books. Um, His other job was he used to write, like, technical manuals for the military. So it's not a big surprise that some of that crossed over into his fiction writing. Yeah. But yeah, lengthy three, four-page descriptions of, like, an airplane engine and, like, the speed of... And I'm like, all right, I get it. It's like a superplane. That's one sentence sums it up for me. That's all I need to know. (laughs) Um, But he's, like, wingspan and, you know... uh, Oh, so. We should go see if that one dude wrote a poem about any of Tom Clancy's books. God, fuck that guy. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at with that guy. <laughs> All oh. right. All right, what else do we got? We do have kind of a cool announcement, right? Is yeah. This, does this serve as an announcement? Are we going to officially break to the world where we're going to be in six weeks?
0: Yeah, booked is going on the road again. Everybody on the road again. I
2: can't wait to get (laughs) on the road again.
0: There's no way that's not going at the end of this. Oh no, I know. I I thought you'd just leave it right where it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I just cut right to the. (laughs) Keep reading, and then we're done. Um, We're going on the road again, November 16th. It's a it's a Saturday, Indianapolis, Indiana. I think the venue is still to be determined, but the date is set. Noir at the Bar in Indianapolis, hosted by C.J. Edwards, the head guy over at Full Dark City Press, mm-hmm. who also joined us in, Indian- uh, in Cord, in Indiana for the Noir at the Pooh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what was that going to be? I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that was going to be. <laughs> I'm leaving that in to punish myself. <laughs> Noir at the bar, <laughs> Noir at the bar two release party. Uh, C.J. Edwards was there. He read uh, one of his stories. He was one of the readers. <sighs> you want to tell everybody who? This is a really cool lineup.
2: Well, here's what's interesting because until you put it this way in our notes, I never realized this. Everybody that's slated to appear has either appeared unbooked, um, and the one person that hasn't actually been on the show, you know, either a reading or an interview or whatever, um, we reviewed a book from. So no surprise, Jedediah Ayers will be um, at a Noir at the Bar event. Um, David James Keaton, who's on the show more than I am, Les Edgerton, Dan O'Shea, C.J. Edwards, and more that are yet to be confirmed.
0: I suspect. Some suspicions.
2: Phillips, yeah. Yep. Yep. So there's been some chatter about Scott Phillips, which would be awesome. Scott Phillips needs to read a story on book though, because he's been he's been at the events. Oh, well, the, oh, the one event he read at we didn't record. Our first trip to Cory did Yeah,
0: he did co-host the uh, first one we recorded, though.
2: So, no, no, I know, but he's never yeah. he's never read on the show, like and actually read a story on the show. Right, right. He's never shared his. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Scott Phillips, get it together, man. <laughs> what I'd like Scott Phillips is if you're listening, if you could read that story, um, Rake, the whole thing. Yeah, why not? All right, it's a good story.
0: <laughs> So looking forward to that, CJ uh, reached out to us. This is a this is a first, and we must be on to something good because um, we were kind of talking back and forth about the event, and he asked, you know, he was he had a couple dates he was thinking of, and he shored that up a little bit, and he actually asked us to record it like we had done for Noir at the Bar events. So this was our first time actually being invited to record an event.
2: That is very very cool. I'm that very was the uh, I made it, it moment. It that's it that's the one huh yeah very cool yeah i'm looking forward to it so uh if you are not busy that weekend to make your way out to indianapolis a location to be determined shortly um and yeah stop out have a have a drink with uh with the booked team and uh you know hear some guys read
0: i'm very excited about this lineup it's uh, it's gonna be really fun it's gonna be a great event
2: dude do you think we'll hear more spunk water
0: we better hear some more Spunk Water. We'll just do the Keaton. Yeah. Then we'll have to do like a Best of Keaton event, or not event, but a Best of Keaton episode. Yeah. He's eventually, I know thinking. what he's doing. It's the unpublishable book, but it's not the unpub, unpodcastable book, I think.
2: Well, that, see, I, I was already one step ahead of you. At some point, we will have the audio book of Spunk Water. <laughs> just, just, it's going to be like 38 different readings, stories that we'll be able to put together Spunk Water and then just sell it. Oh, man, that's a great idea. Yeah, I'm full of these great money-making ideas, man, I'll tell you. We've got a yeah. million of them. So, uh, hey, Rob, what's the next book we're reading? Um, I don't know. Do you? No, no idea. Absolutely no idea. All right. So <laughs> that's how we roll sometimes, guys. Yep. So uh, until next time, I'm Livia Snudden.
0: And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.
1: On the road again. I can't wait to get on the road again.